lots and lots of spoilers. Beep, beep, zip, pang! I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. Be hee ha ha! <laughs> Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's, it's a, a frog! frog. Don't touch that dial. You're in the right place because this is indeed Max Mike Movies. We're closing in on the end of this series, Pixar Picks, but we're at the penultimate episode. So hang on to your seats, don't let go of your spandex, and keep an eye on that origin because this week we're taking on that superhero movie of superhero movies, Captain Underpants. Wait, uh, oh, what? No, wait. Uh, uh, sorry, it's The Incredibles. Ah, yeah. Whew, thought I'd That's watched I the meant. wrong one. That's what I meant to say, mm-hmm. The Incredibles. Mm. Hey, but what's all this we stuff? Are we speaking French? No! We are, as defined in the Marion Ross Dictionary, is one merry marching Max Levine and morbidly... Hmm, I knew I was going to get this one. Mm. Morbidly moribund Mike Luce. We AIM, get it, to uh. entertain and enlighten. <laughs> That's a deeper. Yep. But... Before we get entangled in the machinations of the likes of Oric Goldfinger or Ernst Stavro Blofeld, we have a little business to right do. Right you are, old chum. <laughs> Don't call me chum. I don't like Sharky, Sharky's Pools, where the customer is our chum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So, hey, yada, 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 um, uh, the, the podcast app of your choice, yada, yada, <laughs> uh, the social media, yada, yada, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, yada yada. Email us at maxmikemovies.com. Episodes at the yada yada website, www.maxmikemovies.com. You know the drill. Wow, suddenly this is turning into Seinfeld, the podcast. What's the deal with Pixar? <laughs> there, there are no picks involved. I don't see any shovels. What is this, a mining company? Is that your best Seinfeld? It's flawless. It's like he was here <laughs> in the room. It's Shut like up. glass. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jerry. <clears throat> so, we have some trivia, which, as you know, never mind. So. The show. Budget. I bet you're waiting for this one. Oh, yeah. 92 million. Which, all things oh. considered, is wow. low. Yeah. That actually, yeah, compared to the last couple, which were like over, like one of them was like almost 200 million. It was 200 million, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was Monsters U. So this was 92, and how much did it make? 633 <laughs> million kabukis. I know I did kabukis That's last a week. lot of kabukis. Wow, pow, zowie kazam. Yes, yes, indeed. Mm. That's Bruce Wayne money right there. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, that's more than six times your budget. So that's, um, yeah. well, the, the, industrial term is hit but it would take a scientist mm. to explain it um by now lots of people already know this but when searching high and low for an actor for the role of edna mode the part was finally given to director brad bird the and ca- he nailed it yes he did he apparently just filled in for what they call the uh what's the uh, the animatics is another word for it. Uh, words. They basically just have pictures, not animation, but just pictures of what's going to happen. And he just threw in a storyboard? voice. Storyboard? And they looked everywhere, and they could find nobody that they liked better than him. So he got it. I heard that they actually had Lily Tomlin in mind, and she heard Brad Bird's reading and said, Why am I here? You've got the voice. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> 
So it's great. Uh, the character is, in general, based on multi-Oscar-winning costumer Edith Head, whom we've mentioned before. Now, this is not personality-wise necessarily, but visually, it bears a very strong resemblance to Edith Head. As we all know from that episode of Columbo where she showed up. <laughs> With all of her... Oh, here, let me get these out of the way. There's like eight or nine of them. It's crazy. Um, the story, while very much in the vein of a Bond movie, was actually based on Brad Bird's own experiences trying to balance his career with his family life. I didn't know he had superpowers, but apparently... Well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, he has a secret identity. Duh. Yeah. Well, shh. You weren't supposed to tell. Gasp. <laughs> You're not supposed to say gasp. I'm not. Oh. <laughs> That's what it says in the script. Remove glasses. Look concerned. <laughs> um, Pixar point was... Point to Wally. <laughs> no, no. Point to Wally. Don't say point to Wally. <laughs> anyway, that's another deeper, eh? Um, two of them from the same show. Pixar was dying to have Brad Bird. He was asked many times, but it was the lack of publicity and marketing on Bird's own film, Iron Giant, that finally got him to listen. Pixar was so... Which is actually a very interesting film. I did not know this until I listened to his autobiography, but The Iron Giant... Do you know who wrote the original story for that? I do not. <laughs> Pete Townsend. Wait, from The Who? Yes. That Pete Townsend? He wrote yes. the story? Yes. You're making that up. No, I'm not. It's impossible. I, it's a, it, yeah, it's a lot more. It's wow. like, really? Huh. Yeah. It's, I, I would never have connected that film with him in any way, shape, or form, but yeah. Well, it does explain so. why uh, Hogarth trashes that hotel room. No, stop. Anyway. <laughs> Pixar was so keen to have him that they told him to make the movie he most wanted to make. Bird already had the idea of a family of superheroes, so they went with that. While Syndrome's Walk, Syndrome's the villain in this film, while Syndrome's Walk is baked on that of an anonymous Pixar worker, that weird sort of back-and-forth hoppity thing, uh, the rest of the character visually was based on... Do you know who this is? Yes, Heat Miser. No. What? Well, the, the hair the is Heat Miser, I'm sorry. The rest of the character visually, if you've seen enough pictures, yeah. you'll realize, oh yeah, is based on Brad Bird himself. Oh, I did not know that. Even the hair? Yeah, well, his hair doesn't stick up like that, but they, yeah, it's it's meant to look like... Apparently he was pushing them a little hard, and um, oh. they decided this is how they would like to get back at him, and by the time he realized what was going on, it was too late. <laughs> yeah. Now, the end credits are done in a much more traditional 2D feel, which is actually how Bird originally envisioned the film being produced. Uh, and a lot of it, as it turns out, what he wanted to do, they had not done in 3D animation before. And uh, yeah, it was uh, a learning experience. Oh. Um, but a very good one. Easter egg! Uh. Or rather, a missing Easter egg. That goddamn Pizza Planet no. truck does not, repeat, nope. does not appear in this movie. The, yay. Isn't this like the only Pixar movie where it doesn't? It is. So no more that, well, oh well. I was reading online, apparently there are people who say, no, no, you can see it if you slow it down to 1 128th speed and look at this corner, you can see a tire, but apparently, yeah, apparently no, that's all nonsense. Yes, it is not, there. not there. He didn't know about the, you know, he knew about John Ratzenberger, yeah. um, but he did not know, and he knew, I think, uh, maybe Luxo Juniors in there, who knows, yeah. but uh, he didn't know nope. about the stupid Pizza Planet truck, so it's not there. Good for him. Yay! Another reason to recommend this film. This is a rarity among Pixar films, and perhaps a telling one. This is the only Pixar movie to have just one writer. Oh. Brad Bird. Huh. Yeah. 
Uh, that okay. That's why the story is so focused, probably. Yeah, and also something that would unfortunately uh, no longer be a trend is there's only one director too. Oh. Um, so hey, this is a a recurring thing, and you made note of this, I think, a couple episodes back. All the footage in the original trailer, it was made just for the trailer, and none of it appears in the movie. Yeah. They will continue to do this. They yep. keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, though this will start a trend as well, this is the first Pixar movie to be rated PG, and it's all because of the appearance of capes. No, no, no. <laughs> so that's that's dirty. <clears throat> Bomb Voyage! <laughs> Bomb Voyage's original name, did you know this? I did I, not know this. What? Bomb Voyage's original name was Bomb Perignon, but Ooh, they couldn't that's get permission good too. from the wine people. I know, but they couldn't get permission from the wine people. Oh, C'est la vie. That's okay. Bon voyage works. Yes. In the Oh Dear Gods, How Did I Not Notice This Department, the name of the island... Oh, I knew this, yeah. ...is No Man is Am, yep. as in No, no Man, Man is, is an, an Island, island. entirely of itself from the John Dunn poem. Because, <laughs> of course, there's a lot of John Dunn fans who goes to see go to see Pixar films. Uh, yep. A lot of mm-hmm. them. A lot of them. Yeah. For the comic fans out there, one can see definite parallels between The Incredibles and, say, oh, I don't know, The Fantastic Four. What? Especially, <laughs> especially when the underminer, Mole Man, yeah. shows up at the end. Yeah. The Fantastic Four are also very similar to an earlier DC property, The Challenges of the Unknown, though they mm-hmm. were created by Jack Kirby, who would also co-create The Fantastic Four and... Okay, right, I'll shut up. <laughs> Nerd! No, actually, it was Jack Kirby and not... Oh. Nerd! Hey, Mr. Skipperdoo! <laughs> Watch the extras to see a short film with Mr. Incredible and Frozone and find the thrilling secret truth behind Mr. Skipperdoo. And I'm not going any further. you no, got to watch it yourself. Seriously, that is but, so worth watching. <laughs> it really is. So... If one squints real hard and looks at the dates in the newspapers, and this I did not know either, the movie supposedly starts in 1947 and ends in 1962. Oh, I always wondered about the, t- the setting for it, because you couldn't tell yes. from the clothes, but the cars all looked like, you know, s- sort of stylized 60s cars. Right, and of course, there's lots of Bond overtones, which oh, yeah. helps. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I think was the, I kind of like the fact that you couldn't really tell what era it was. The technology kind of pushes it ahead too, because like Mister Incredible's car, like we still can't do that. Um, so yeah, and, it sixty two was the first Bond film too. Doctor No came out in sixty two, ah. so it's it's all very tight together. It's it it again the scientists you would. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the Wilhelm scream, bite me, Disney, uh. bite me hard. <laughs> I don't, I'm not telling you where it is. And again, as a public service, I will repeat this, although we've said it many times. If you don't know what the Wilhelm scream is, do not look it up. <laughs> so, this is a reteaming of actors Samuel L. Jackson and John Ratzenberger. Well, huh? sort of. And this I did not know. Both of them have appeared in Star Wars movies. John Ratzenberger was in a star in Star Wars? Yes, and a I lot further did, back than I would have guessed. I did Jackson not know that. is in, of course, all the prequels. Well, as yeah. a cool character, uh, and an otherwise utterly terrible set of films. And <laughs> believe it or not, John Ratzenberger is in The Empire Strikes Back as the unforgettable Major Derlin. You know who? <laughs> I, I didn't what? know who? this, and there was a picture, and there he is in Hoth, and oh. he's got it's John Ratzenberger in a snow hat. I mean, there he is. Does he have any lines? No. No. Oh. Okay. I have no idea why he's there, but there he is. <clears throat> yeah, he was probably working as an extra. Needed the money. 
Um, so, hey, remember that PG rating that I mentioned earlier? Uh, I do. Yeah, part of that reason, mm-hmm. there are 21 deaths that appear on screen during this movie. I wondered about that. I gotta say, this... Never mind the collateral damage that happens, especially at the end scene, but, uh, you know, th- this is one of the few Pixar movies they actually not only show death, but they mention it. I wanna, I'm gonna get back to that. Yeah, um, so this was not a good movie in which to hench. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. But yeah. Uh, this is interesting because there was, there was a lot more than usual interesting trivia, and I'm just going to cut it off now because there's yeah. I already gave a lot. But you know, there's also the oh, this aspect ratio hasn't been used. Oh, who cares? <laughs> um, this actor was chosen to who? So that's it for trivia. Do you know any other little bits before I move on to the plot? The one thing I did like was apparently Jason Lee, who plays Syndrome, recorded all his dialogue in two days. Whereas yeah. Craig T. Nelson, who's Mr. Incredible, recorded his over a period of two years. Yeah. I didn't find out the reason, like, you know, did they need hey, to keep not, coming back because they changed the character? I think what? they were more rewrites, and really he's in more scenes, but... Yeah. Yeah. Right, no, so no, the that's plot. Yeah, the plot. It is a time of superheroes. Sorry. <laughs> Max has been fired, new to <laughs> 11. It is a time of superheroes. Shut up. Every crime, from the slightest price hike to the greatest of world domination attempts, is thwarted by those amazing men and women in panties and capes. But lo, what if those same people are now seen to be causing more trouble than they halt? That's what happens with Bob and Helen Parr, otherwise known as Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl. They marry on the eve of their own dimination and find that the world no longer has a use for those with superpowers. Aww. Now they are to be just like the rest of us, living in a world that no longer all is all that exciting. Superheroes find that fitting in and being normal is harder than it seems. Bob yearns for the glory days when he and his friends, such as the super chill Frozone, get it, were able to do the best with their power. Man, I can't read my own crap. <laughs> I'm leaving that part in. Uh, such as the super chill Frozone were able to do their best with the power born to them. Perhaps the days of super this and that aren't so gone because suddenly the cape bearers of old are turning up dead and a new villain is rising to the top. Is it too late for Mr. Incredible? Can Elastigirl keep her husband's head out of the clouds while maintaining a normal household with two, no, three superpowered children? Can those children learn not to use their powers? And what of the terrible Underminer? Who is he? What is he? All of these questions and more will be answered in this exciting episode. Same Max Mike Movies time, same Max Mike Movies channel. Wow, I haven't screwed up an opening like that in forever. <laughs> Admittedly, I did write it five minutes before the show. But well, there's a fair amount of verbal gymnastics in there. Yeah, usually I say it out loud, so I, okay, I should fix that, but I didn't. So, The Incredibles! The Incredibles. Okay, I, I do want to mention right off, uh, first off the, the discussion about, yeah, these guys are almost identical to the Fantastic Four in a number of ways. Yes, not entirely, but... We, no, not entirely like, because well, the Fantastic Four, only two of them are actually related by blood. However, well, however... Yeah, okay, I was thinking more like the powers, but... Uh, the powers are almost identical in that you have the brick, the super strong one, the thing, you've got the stretchy one, you've got uh, the invisible one who can generate force fields, and by the and way... And Herbie is, the Robot! <laughs> and Herbie the Robot, yes! Uh, yes, that's an old cartoon cut, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I still don't know why it is... I mean, obviously, it's because of the Fantastic Four, there's always been this sort of link with invisibility and force fields. I yeah. think it was because when the the Fantastic Four started, the Invisible Woman 
had one power. She could turn invisible, and then they realized, wow, that makes her the most useless character in the team. Yeah. And then they added the force field. So, right. And so for some reason, they decided to uh, substitute a speedster for the human torch. Not the flash. But, yeah, no, not the flash or Quicksilver. Um, what I what I didn't think about until we until I saw this movie again was it's like oh yeah but there's an extra kid right it's like yeah no there isn't that still fits that's Jack Jack is Franklin Richards right in that Franklin Richards is a god he can, he can do almost anything and Jack Jack as we find out both at the end of this movie in the short Jack Jack attack and in the Incredibles too Jack Jack has all the superpowers. Like yeah. all of them, which makes yeah. you wonder, what is he going to grow up to be? But anyway. Yeah, we might get to talk a little bit about the sequel, but probably not. Uh, um, yeah. Maybe at the very end, if we have time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say that when the film opened, I, I've seen this film many times, but I, you know, it's different when you and I do the show, because I, I don't know about you, but I actually will sit and watch the movie, not just have it in the background. Yeah. Um, people may not believe this, but even films Max and I have seen many times, we will actually sit watch. I have a notebook. I actually write things down in longhand. But I make myself watch because there's things I don't notice or appreciate or haven't in years. And one of the things, especially when looking at all these Pixar films, is the textures in this film don't hold up real well. Really? Um, yeah. Like, things are real smooth. Like, it, it's kind of like looking at action figures. Uh, to be fair... Uh, <laughs> Brad Bird showed up and said, hey, you know the thing you've been avoiding in all these other films? Humans? That's all we're doing. We're not doing animals. We're not doing fish. We're doing humans. And I, apparently the animators responded with, <laughs> Although, um, to be fair, the humans they do, they're very cartoony. They're very exaggerated. I mean, and it works. Bob, Bob Parr is insanely built, you know, in ridiculously overbuilt upper body, skinny little legs. The chin. And, yeah, the human, the, the crimson chin. <laughs> And it, I, as you say, it works because it's that kind of movie. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the textures didn't bother me. I love the opening. I love the, the interviews. Yeah. The because little, it's sort of behind the scenes, sort of. Yeah. But it's also right away when you listen to them talk, it's like, okay, these are superheroes, but they're talking like very real, grounded, down-to-earth people. And they're bringing up things... That you do wonder about. I love Mr. Incredible saying, you know, the day, you know, the, the earth always needs to be saved. It's just sometimes I wish it would just stay saved. I feel like I'm the maid. I'm always cleaning up. It's like, you know, that's actually a very reasonable point. I figure Superman must feel like that. Well, it's also, there's sort of, there's many themes in this movie, but oh, yeah. one of them is sort of the fantasy versus reality, right? So for me, the opening, when we see Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl and all the stuff in the, in the quote-unquote past, which is, again, apparently about 1947, so post-World post War II, this is very much the way Marvel rewrote the superhero genre back in the 60s, or 1960, 1961, really, with Fantastic Four. And things were still very innocent and very black and white, good and evil. So that's how superheroes were in the 60s. And of course, eventually what happened was we got tired of that. So we need to make them gritty and realistic, and that's the 80s. And that all happens in the opening. Like, before there's kids, we see the good old days. We see it when all the superheroes were good guys, all the villains were bad guys, there was no in-between, and everybody loved them, and everyone hated the villains, and then suddenly something happens where people start to take another look at things and go, you know... And it's... The thing is, and they cover this very quickly... 
the objections the public have to the superheroes are kind of valid. Yeah. It's like, here are a bunch of unmonitored, masked vigilantes going around doing enormous amounts of property damage, just colossal amounts of collateral damage, trying to deal with these villains. And that's another point. Where are the supervillains? There aren't any supervillains. We never, ever see a villain with superpowers. Well, we don't, but we don't see a lot of specific... Well, we we don't know about Bomb Voyage. Maybe he can create the bombs out of nowhere. We, we don't see know. him carrying them with him. Right, and but we don't know if he didn't just like pull them out of thin air. Like, maybe there's, that's a- there's no implication that he has superpowers. And in fact, what's one of Buddy later Syndrome's complaints is, you know, I don't have your gifts, but I build things. And of course, you know, hey, spoiler, if you haven't seen this, what is it? 14-year-old film or whatever it is, 2006? Uh, 16-year-old, yeah, it's 2004, yeah. Yeah, 16-year-old. So he becomes the villain. Yeah, the villain, yeah. Yeah, but uh, only the good guys have superpowers. That's a very strange choice. There's also no pesky origins. (laughs) Yeah, I'm assuming these guys are all mutants, that they're just all, because it sounds like they're all born with them. Well, we know that from the family, right? Because all the right. kids are born with them. Which also is another thing. Like, the only reason there's not some sort of giant, you know, post-war explosion of superheroes is because Syndrome ends up killing most of them off. Yeah. But you're right. We don't know. And yeah. it's, quite honestly, because this film starts in that whole fantasy, you know, mythological beginnings, we don't question it. And it's fine. To a degree. But they also make it so grounded and realistic. Because of the way they talk, the way they, the problems that they deal with. Again, and that's something, by the way, uh, I have to disagree a little bit with uh, your characterization of Marvel comics in the early 60s. Yes, it was more innocent, but one of the things Marvel had going for it that DC didn't was they did take it a little more realistically. The Fantastic well, Four argue with each other. They have problems. They fight. Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, can't make his rent. Right, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, talking, no, I I'm do. talking the, about the, the 80s when Batman basically used yeah. to chew small children for breakfast. <laughs> True. <laughs> Despite no. the... Di- yeah, they, talk, they were more realistic about the difficulties the heroes face, but the heroes are all still heroes. They're all right. unabashedly good, and the villains are all unabashedly bad. That's true. Yeah. That, that didn't change. For a no, while. and it's it's also a really interesting. Like when we get into the when the kids are around, and you know, obviously, Mister Incredible's forced to sell insurance. <laughs> oh. I'm sure he's really good at that. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, whatever else the other superheroes are, are forced to do, um, we get a really interesting twist because there are tons of films about you know the outsider or the loner not fitting in, and in this case, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah, it's the person with all of the ability. Now they're forced to fit in that same tight little peg hole, and they're no better at it than the people who don't have any kind of or who are socially awkward or whatever. They're, they're or, used quite to honestly, the people who read the superhero comics back in the sixties. <laughs> Sorry, that yeah. was mean and yeah. yet true. Yeah, uh, no, I, it's I true. Was, the, uh, the Mr. Incredible goes from being incredible and extraordinary right. and adored to being an ordinary guy. Even in the name they give him. Par, Bob right. Par, which means average. Yeah. And it's, a lot of it, uh, one of the re- the things that I like about it so much is the analog there is not like a superhero. It's like the high school jock. 
Yeah. Or the guy who was a college athlete who's who has whose glory days he thinks are all behind him, and right. everything else is downhill, and he misses being the center of attention. He misses being the golden boy, and that's very real. Yeah, Pe- there are people who are like that. The guy who peaks in high school, and, and we get a very interesting and very cool um, what do I want to call contrast character for that, and that's Helen. Mm-hmm. Helen. Oh my God, she is the one of the most amazing female animated characters ever because she is really able to see the big picture. She's like, I get it. Well, we did. Yeah, I miss it too, but it's not time for that now. And that's not what people want. This is what we're going to have to do. And she, I think, in a way, swallows more than Bob does because mm. there's things that we... we get hinted at with her like her paramilitary flight training yes she's so competent that's the thing about helen as opposed to bob bob can't fit in the real world he he's he is literally larger than life he cannot (laughs) and he can't adapt and he hates it and helen you get the feeling she doesn't love it either but she as you say she's much more of a realist and she understands how important the family is, and that's what they have to focus on. But you see her, the whole sequence where she's flying. I love that sequence because, first of all, she's also obviously a killer pilot, an ace. Yep. All of that jargon she uses, by the way, that's all real. That's all yep. actual military flight uh, uh, jargon and, uh, yep. and actual codes, even to the point of when you say uh, the flight is bunny spiked, meaning there are children on board or it, usually it's um, civilians. Right. She learned that on. She said she really want the actress really wanted to learn that and know it, so it sounded realistic, and, and it, it did. It really does, and you go, "Holy crap!" What now? She's staying home and vacuuming and making kids lunches, but she's like an international woman of mystery here. Yeah, and she has an incredibly useful, flexible superpower. By right. which, again, by the way, is an interesting thing on the way the powers fit the personality and the type. Bob, who is shall we say blunt and direct <laughs> and deals with things by hitting them and is is a brick he's a super strong invulnerable guy helen who has to be adaptable fit herself into situations can stretch and change shape dash who the speedster he's a kid he's obviously got he's hyperkinetic right maybe he has add it's hard to tell but it manifests <laughs> through super speed and violet oh, now he's over it <laughs> yeah now the, the shrink the the literal shrinking violet i was afraid they were going to make her into like a size changer but mm. the girl who wants to fade into the background can become invisible and the one who protects herself behind like a cynical facade or she's you, you know she's like a half step away from being a goth chick yeah can protect herself with a force field if there had been any in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apparently her hair, believe it or not, was a major um, stepping up point or, or a, a level up, if you will. I because believe Because up, up until now, they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have to do hair. We'll just do fish. And <laughs> Brad Bird came, we're doing hair. Oh, hair. And her hair looks great. It's amazing. Well, he said uh, her character is her hiding behind her hair. It's, yeah. a major, it's actually a plot point, so yeah. we need to do hair. So... But suddenly Pixar is like, oh, we need to discover hair. And so they did. And of yeah. course, Edmund Mode too. And we'll get to oh, her. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally agree. You know, the characters are all very well fleshed out, thought out. They all have their little journeys. I would say probably of all of them, um, Dash doesn't really grow that much, but that's fine. He's a little um, kid. He isn't supposed to grow yet. He's not that stage. Yeah. Um, so we get all of that 
Right, so there's our family comedy with with its family drama, right? But we also get a buddy film, because there's Mr. Incredible and Frozone. And Frozone is like, look, I kind of went past this. I'm done. I'm not being Frozone anymore, but here's my best friend, and I feel bad for the guy, and it's like, I guess we'll go out and save people. Um, So we get this buddy film part. Then, of course, we get a superhero movie, which is where it mostly Mm -hmm. stays. But, of course, there's the James Bond aspect. This is one of the best James Bond movies never made. (laughs) Syndrome's Island is the coolest <laughs> Bond villain base ever. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. This is why I also had trouble with the idea of it when you say it was supposed to be 1962, because Syndrome's technology is a hundred years ahead of that. Right. But it's it is basically very, magic. It is very Dr. Noish, the whole island thing. The, yes, um, the, the volcanic island. Just better. I mean, he even points out um, why would he put this? Why would he put this in a volcano? It's and like, I liked oh, it. He, he's attracted to power. Right. All right. And, and great soil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is true. That. Volcanic soil is very rich, very fertile. Yeah. But uh, there's that problem with the explosions, but, you know, it's Yeah, worth well, it. there is that. The lava and stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is, it, is, it is all four of those films at different points, and it does all of them exceedingly well. Um, up to and including the soundtrack, uh, the people who wrote the music were like, we really want that John Barry and I can't remember who the other guy, the James Bond guy yeah. feel. We want that. And they do it. And there's some points where I'm like, did they just lift this from a Bond film? <laughs> um, but it's 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 exciting. It's 60s. It's the architecture. So for this is this is a lesser known thing. I used to study this, but the style of architecture is based on this thing called Googie. Huh? Googie was an actual uh, chain of coffee houses in the 60s that had this boomerang style, almost Jetsons-like huh. uh, aesthetic to it. And there was this time between tiki culture and Googie when stuff actually looked like that in the 60s. Oh, wow. And why we didn't keep it, I don't know. But uh, the Googie came and went from like late 50s to early 60s, and then it was gone. Never even um, heard that term. That's cool. Yeah, I have books on it. Huh. Um, and it, they just uh, they went right for that, because that's the cool stuff. Um, everything about this film is just, it, it fits all of those things. How, I don't know. Um, but like we were saying about poor Helen, she's the only thing holding this film together. She has a really cool journey because we see her as Elastigirl in her prime. And yeah, you think, oh, I can stretch. That's really cool. No, shit's really cool. She does amazing things with it, like way better than I've seen in just about any other stretch character, including Plastic Man, Mr. Fantastic. I forget who it is in the Challengers of the Unknown. Um, um, that, the elongated uh, uh, man. That was actually interesting. Um it, the girl, the the character in Challenger of the Unknown is Elastigirl. Oh, that's right. That's and right. In and in fact, DC... They, DC said you can't use that name. And they, the closest they could get was, all right, you can use it in the movie, but for all the promotional materials, every all the posters, everything else, she's referred to as Mrs. Incredible. Right. Except that, in if you look real close, she's a last girl, not a last tug girl. So, oh, right. You know, there is. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. One vowel difference. Yeah. No, yeah, and it, it, in some ways we get a trope that I'm already tired of, which mm-hmm. is the man-boy thing, right? The grown-up man who's still a boy and he can't get over it, and you know the women around him who have to basically take pick up after him, blah, 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 blah. Here I think it works. Yeah, I think it Partially, does. Be- because he because does was- uh, try, and he does have it in him. Yes. It's just he doesn't want it. Well, he, the, one of his main stumbling blocks is, although we they don't really do a lot with this, it's plainly obvious, he's 
something of a chauvinist. Even when they're out fighting, it's like, well, I did this and you're just there to help. And she's like, uh, no, I took him down. It's like, yeah, I distracted him. Yeah, I knew you were going to distract him. That's why I took him down. And it's like, she's your equal or better. Well, yeah, Even but again, she- you already told me what the dates of this was. This is not, you, you really expect feminism in 1947? Well, but then again, this is not really a mirror of either of those two times at all, really. It's not. It's yeah. using some of the the settings, the backdrops, but it's not really reflecting the culture so much. Um, and I, just, I'd not, having seen this film many times, it never occurred to me it would have started as early as the 40s, although it makes sense because they had to have kids grow up. But um, especially at the end, like the schools and stuff don't feel particularly... 60s to me but whatever no but the tvs and such do Mm. um but she you know when we see her as the mom like literally picking things up and vacuuming and talking on the phone and dealing with the kids all at the same time the way moms do um and we also then go see her fly this blade to nomanisan and she's dodging missiles and stuff and it's not elastic power she's just flying a plane yep so there's a lot going on with her and she's really the one that pulls everything together everything um because without her the kids aren't going to survive without her um mr incredible's not going to get out of the great villain trap uh, <laughs> where he does in fact monologue <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so it and it's without her people aren't going to grow either right so nothing's yeah. going to happen without her she is the catalyst she really she is tot- and and more and more she's the backbone really the backbone and the and the, and the catalyst because bob Bob does need to get over himself, right? That's kind of one of the themes of this film. The problem is Bob's not entirely wrong, Mm. but he also needs to get over himself. Yeah, we'll talk about about, uh, that part. But it also, it would be really easy to have made him completely unlikable because Mm -hmm. he, he is just a character trapped in the past, but we also, we do empathize with him. You see that he wants to do the right thing, even when he's in insurance. And clearly one of the reasons he's bad at it is he... You know, his boss wants him to try to screw the uh, customers and, like, make sh- you know, try to make sure that they don't pay out any claims. And all he wants to do is pay out claims. He wants to help the people. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, and- uh, it's called Insuracare in this film. Apparently, yeah. one of the countries, and I don't remember which one, when they translated it, they just called it Black-Hearted Insurance Company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. Yeah. And, boy, how great was his boss? That was Wallace oh. Shawn as, yeah. as the voice. And he was – that was so perfect. Yeah, because he's so much. You you knew immediately what kind of person he was. Yeah, and yeah. how he just loved being able to boss around this guy who probably picked on him in high school. The sort of the big jump, and only ex- he's just as bad. He's another bully. By the way, he died in that movie. I'm sorry, <laughs> he did. There is no way he survived. Bob throws him through three walls into a fourth. And I know they show him in the hospital in a body cast. He's dead. There's yeah, just no way he lived. I'm going to change this 21 to a 22. There we go. Okay, 22 deaths on screen. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the realism in this film is, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. shall we say, as pliable as Elastigirl. It's a nice touch, by the way, that a lot of the way they, in- they try to indicate people are still alive or whatever is by the eye movement. Yeah. When Frozone freezes the cop, my first thought, I, honestly, when I saw it was, oh, my God, he's murdered him. Oh, hold on a sec. 23. But he hasn't because no. we see his eyes move. He's, right. he's just immobilized somehow. Immobilo. 
Which, That's again, it would surprise me a little just because they're actually really good about the superhero physics. I mean, in addition to being a really interesting family movie, this is a great superhero movie. It is. And, I, you know, I, I meant to go look into this and I get, didn't get a chance. I can't help but wonder if we started to see a real leap of superhero films after this. Like, if this wasn't one of the films that said, hey, super, remember those things you used to make fun of people for eating? They're actually cool now, so you might want to come see... Oh, um, uh, I, uh, Avengers. Oh, um, uh, you know... I don't know, we, maybe. It's 2004. That was around when the the superhero movie started exploding. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, but, it was... It made a lot of money. A yeah, lot of, yeah. A lot of money. Uh, it, so, I totally agree. Um... And I actually, this brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk about, one of my um, talking points. Uh, so we've got these superheroes who are basically told, yeah, you have to fit in. And we see two different versions of this. We see Bob, yeah. who is basically this gigantic, I can lift anything, I'm nearly, I'm, I'm sorry, nigh invulnerable. <laughs> I'm well nigh he... invulnerable, Arthur. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's basically told you can sell things. Yeah. That's it. That's what you have to do. And I, I think there's actually, I can't remember the name of it, there's a Kurt Vonnegut story about this, where um, anybody who's got any kind of heightened ability, like they're smarter than the average person, they have to wear something that normalizes them. Do you remember, have you read this? I have not. That's an interesting one, no. Yeah, so like if you're somebody who's very strong, you have to wear literal weights so that you're carrying the same weight as the average person. If uh. you're smart, there's something that makes noise every so often so that you can't concentrate more than an average person. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I should have looked that up, too. Now that, yeah, I see where the theme, you're going to the, about the theme of exceptionalism. Well, sort of, because uh, we also have on the other end, we have Dash, who's like, I want to go out for sports. And it's like, well, you can't, A, because you'll blow our cover, and B, you'll just win. Yeah, it's you have to wonder about that. At the end, it's like a big deal, like, oh, he's, we're letting him go out for sports, and he's going to come in second. That's really unfair. This kid can break the sound barrier. Right. No normal human can compete against him. It would be like Mr. Incredible entering an Olympic weightlifting contest. Well, and I also can't help but wonder if it would have made more sense to let him do it earlier, because what he's going to find out is there's nothing satisfying about this. Yeah, how, where's the challenge? If he knows None. he could win running backwards, hopping on one foot. So, who knows, maybe that's the way he becomes a supervillain. <laughs> but it actually brings me to something that has become a thing. And I can't help but wonder if this isn't also because they do mention this briefly in the movie. Uh, it has to comes up when he's uh, Bob is talking about having to miss Dash's quote unquote graduation, and Helen's like, "It's his graduation." He's like, "He's moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade," and they start talking about giving awards for mediocrity and what is also known as the participation award. Yeah, this was the begin. This was part of, and it fits the kind of the snowflake era. And right. but this is—I don't think this is a coincidence. But in two thousand one, three mm -hmm. years before this movie actually came out, but probably while it was being made, we had the No Child Left Behind Act passed, mm -hmm. which, depending on who you listen to, uh, either basically some say it rewarded mediocrity and penalized exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. It was a form of—it was a form of curriculum that uh, focused heavily on standardized tests and was basically trying to teach to the lowest common denominator it was to now on the plot on the other side this was meant that 
all students. It was trying to give the same chance to every student. Those who opposed it, and it was, by the way, replaced in, I think, 2013, was, said that, yeah, it doesn't allow anyone who's better than average to really shine. I cannot speak to if this was true or not, but this yeah. was an issue at the time, and it that's what Bob brings up. It's like, why are we hiding what we can do? Although there's also kind of a disturbing sort of ubermensch attitude here of basically we're better than other people. Well, or at least it, we're better at these things than right, other people. Right. That's the important part. Yeah. He doesn't and, that's true. It's never implied that he thinks it makes them better human beings. No. Just I I hit things. I so, can lift very heavy I mean, things. Yeah, why should I pretend when there's so much good I could do with this ability? And again, it's not like syndrome where he just wants to have fun or have, like power. He wants to do things. He want he just wants a purpose that he he wants to do what he's good at. Right. And unfortunately, what he's good at isn't acceptable. No. And the participation award thing, I found this out recently. This is still a thing. Um, and it made me just blink and go, what? And I am not into sports at all. But apparently, when it comes to things like Little League or little store, uh, store school sports, <laughs> yeah. um, grade school sports and stuff, there is a thing where if the discrepancy between the winning score and the losing score gets too broad, that they make coaches switch out key players yeah. So that the team has a chance to catch up and they don't get beaten by as much. I've heard. And I was this. like, "What?" <laughs> um, so wait, if it's the Dallas Cowboys versus the New Jersey Schmoes, the New Jersey Schmoes can pull in people from the Patriots so they don't look. <laughs> well, so no, hard. no, I don't think it's that. It's, I <laughs> no, think... but it's like it's the same idea. It's like, well, okay, you're good players. You, they have to go away now. Like, well, huh? I think to me, and this is me just making stuff up, it's not a case that we shouldn't applaud people who are exceptional in their field. We just need to realize how much we're applauding them. Mm. So instead of making these sports figures out to be as if they're the greatest people in the world, we need to calm down and say, hey, you're great at football, and that's it. It's if you a want to yeah. achieve other things, if you want to show us that you're good at other things, go do those things. But we can't decide that because you're good at one thing, you're amazing at everything. The thing is, this is kind of done in reaction to decades of the over-celebration of like school athletes or college athletes right. where they were allowed to get away with anything. And right. let's face it, a lot of them still are. Oh, yeah. And the other thing is that people who achieve other great things, like, do you ever see a lot of people cheering for their greatest artist in their class? No. Why? Uh, well, they can barely at get our funding. high school, maybe. Well, <laughs> that's because of people in our high school who played soccer also wove things. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's that's... true. You don't hear about, they, you don't hear them celebrating, wow, that guy was amazing in our economics class, or that, yeah. Their actor. You don't get, you don't get people celebrating intellectual exceptionalism as much oh boy don't you yeah. <laughs> not yeah. these days no. and yeah. that's the thing is that it just needs to be put in perspective I, that's mm. my feeling is it yeah. needs to be part in perspective you're cool at this thing that doesn't grant you license to go trash a hotel room yeah. um you know rock and roll stars i'm looking right at you <laughs> um that that's my and the participation award initially i remember hearing those and like, oh that's a cool idea and the more i thought about it, it's like uh no that's no because you're 
addition to this team is nothing like this person's. And some of it might be ability, and some of it might be dedication, right? They're like, oh, I just worked harder. So I've tried harder. But there's also the problem is it really doesn't prepare prepare you for later life. No. It's like, wait, you mean just showing up isn't enough? No. Like, no, sorry. I mean, sure, if you show up at work, you'll do okay at work, but you won't get promoted. You won't get uh, raises. Well, but, let's look at YouTube. YouTube is a perfect example oh boy. of this. Yeah. Anybody can have a TV show. I know. I had one. Um, does this mean I should be seen by millions of people? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things, and we're going kind of off topic, but one of the things I kind of miss was the three networks. Why? Hmm. Because you had to sit there and work to get people's attention. If your show stunk, you were gone. Now it's like, well, give it a season or two. Eh. It'll probably get better. Uh, maybe, but why should I waste my time on that when, you know, and there's all these streaming services. And in some ways, it's like, I'd like to see people who wouldn't get a chance get a chance. But on the other hand, I don't need five times the crap that there used to be to watch. Again, it's a question of balance. I do like the idea that this is this is why some of the of the more experimental movies and TV shows end up on the internet or on streaming services or on weird little cable channels because the you know the big when there are only three networks all they wanted were things that would make money things that would succeed so oh, it's the Star Wars holidays oh lord <laughs> yeah by the way happy happy day after life day <laughs> they said that was the end of variety TV shows and I was like good. <laughs> Because variety yes. TV shows. Happy suck. Life Day, all of you. Um, Happy Life Day. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, sorry, just want to get back to the movie a little bit. I know, I know. But, well, that's one of the things that's cool about this movie is it gives you a lot to think there's about. There's a lot to unpack in here. There yeah. really is. Uh, like Syndrome as the villain. Yeah, I think he's first of all the whole "I'm your number one fan." Did you get a misery vibe out of that? You know, I didn't until you just mentioned, but yeah, I could see I that. I definitely did. Even especially the way he reprises it when he's trying to remind Mr. Incredible who he is. He, after all, I am your number one fan. It's like, ah! Yeah. Kathy Bates! <laughs> he never got out of the cock doody car! Uh, yeah, I had a violent reaction to that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, but, uh, act, which was good for Kathy Bates, because she deserved that oh, Oscar. Oh, yeah. No, that was friggin' terrifying. Yeah. But uh, Syndrome... Mo for most of the movie is really an interesting character and the whole thing that he's motivated by spite and that he really resents superheroes because he wanted to be a sidekick and mr incredible brushes him off and he was let's face it a little callous and a little dismissive but he but also he it was a little boy who wanted to go on with him on around missions that would kill him yeah. mr incredible could take that kind of punishment because he was invulnerable but he couldn't. He could fly, sure. He had the jet boots, which, by the way, 1947, jet boots. It's like, um, buddy, don't worry about being a superhero. Go and become a billionaire because you just invented rocket boots. <laughs> yeah, which, which he, does. he does. He yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and the thing, too, is that I, I can't really blame Mr. Incredible in this case because he starts off. He's like, no, you can't. No, you no, no, you can't. No, no, go home. Leave me alone. It's like he won't take no for an answer. So yeah, he's a kid, but it's like I don't know how otherwise to say no to this kid where he'll actually go away. Yeah, and he won't. And so I think it's sort of just inevitable. I don't think it would have mattered how Mr. Incredible treated him. He never would have heard the word no. And the the 
his evil plan, you know, using superheroes <laughs> to test out his Omnidroids, that's actually pretty nasty. It's also yeah. incredibly disturbing. Yeah. When Mr. Incredible is sitting at the computer terminal and he's reading about what his syndrome has done and he sees the list of one after another after another of all the superheroes who have died right. in these tests. And it's it's horrifying. And you get a really visceral reaction from him as he looks at it and he can't believe this. Yeah. And well, uh, that's one that's one of the other ways that syndrome has figured out how one well, I can get on top by killing off all yeah. of my competition. And then his but I'm sorry, the end game of his plan is dumb. It is it? Does because make that's how sense. I felt when I read it in The Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, except again, that was a little different. Yeah, it, that was what I thought too. I thought, oh, this is similar to Ozymandias' thing. I'm going to create a menace. But that was the thing. He was going to create a menace which would then bring other people together to fight it. He didn't. Syndrome was like, I'm going to create a robot and I'm going to beat it up. And then everyone will say, I'm a hero. But I'm not, by the way, going to put any fail-safe to keep the robot from actually attacking me or figuring out how to disable my remote control. And considering how good he has been at anticipating moves, that was kind of a big hole in it. And also, his ultimate plan, while it sounds fascinating, what exactly is the point? It's like, when I'm old and I have my fun, had my fun, I'll sell my ideas to everyone and everyone can be a superhero. And when, and again, that brings up when everyone is special, no one is special, right? That's that's your big plan is make everybody a superhero. Well, I think that's really just more of his revenge. Mm. That's 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 where he's blinded by his own emotions, uh, and I okay. have no problem with him doing that. I don't. I, what does he uh. care at that point? If he's a seventy-year-old guy and he's just sitting there in his rocking chair watching the world destroy itself, why the hell would he care? Yeah, He'd probably find that funny. Yeah. Uh, I actually found the, the use of that end plot better used here than in The Watchmen. I never bought it in The Watchmen. For those who haven't read it or seen it, the original idea was this guy makes a fake alien. Like, he actually, he's smart enough to, to genetically engineer a fake alien that supposedly has mind powers and mind blanks a huge part of the population, thus drawing everybody together to destroy the aliens and then everybody's better for it, which, okay, maybe that would work. I don't think so. Well, I if you ever watch the, if you watch the miniseries, the, uh, the Watchmen miniseries on HBO, it didn't really work. Well, I didn't. I gave that comic as many tries as I could. I've seen the movie a couple of times. I tried that. And I will say, it is probably the closest panel-to-panel -panel recreation <laughs> of a comic into a movie that I've ever seen. But uh, I, I never would go bought with that. I would go with Sin, Sin City. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, that's uh, really but, shot by shot. But yeah, it, it's I, not a great plan. <laughs> but it works fine in this movie. In this one, it's, it's okay. It, it is, is as realistic and goofy as the rest of the film. Um, and his Omnidroid, he literally missed one thing because he, he thought he's still smarter than the stuff he creates. Um, and that's his Achilles heel, if you will. And he's built something that literally can become smarter than he is um, with experience. And he figured, well, since I've never fought it, it doesn't know how I fight and I have my remote control. I'll push these two buttons, look amazing, and people will love me. Well, he pushed one button and the robot says, well, the heck with this. <laughs> well, it doesn't kill him, but he knocks the remote control away. Yeah. And of course, as you said, he's got no power, so that he should have been, oh, let me see, 24. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he flew full speed into a concrete wall. He's dead, too. Yeah. And of course, uh, at the end, he is, but 
We assume. And his death is equal parts funny and horrifying. Yes, and I love the callback because what kills him? The cape. Yeah. The thing Edna will not design. And before we get too far into this, because we're going to run out of time, I want to talk about Edna. Oh, my God. She's, for me, the whole sequence with her, both sequence with her, both with Mr. Incredible and with Elastigirl, are the high points. I wouldn't say they're the high points, but they are high points. They are. uh, Among many. And she is not only great as a character, but she's actually necessary. Oh, absolutely. Like, she's not just there for fun. And she is fun. And I actually love the part where... um, Helen shows up and she's talking to her and she's like, I used to design for gods. And she shows this statue and it's obviously meant to be a superhero of some sort. And it's like, yeah, she did. Yeah. And she's a normal person as far as we know. She doesn't have any powers unless she can sew really fast or whatever. <laughs> um, and she literally used to be part of the court. She, Her abilities put her in a pinnacle position. And so she understood the superheroes from the inside out. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, and she gives a real kick in the head to both, in a way, both Bob and Helen. Um, and she's a lot of fun. Oh, she is. <laughs> and yes, she's she is necessary because, let's face it, the whole idea of the superhero designing their own costume doesn't make any sense. It would be shredded after the first fight, but she knows how to make things that are durable, that fit yeah. the powers. She's up, she is she is Tony Stark because her stuff is incredibly high tech. Yeah. And I'm, she's smart enough to also utilize it to make a fortune in that, you know, yeah. she's obviously a big deal fashion designer. Right, which, you know, goes back to again to Edith Head, um, which works out. Although I, I've seen Edith Head show up in a couple of things, and uh, Edna Mode's a lot more fun. <laughs> um, one thing also I'd like to get to if we have a chance, because this is a question that pops up with our is it a good Pixar movie or a bad Pixar movie? And we're going to save that. Oh, yeah, big surprise. But, Max, yeah, do you find this movie challenging? Yes, I do. I think this movie is challenging. I think it brings up, I mean, the issues we talked about, exceptionalism versus mediocrity, the importance of family, the the people who desperately can't let go of the past, the willingness to admit vulnerability. And one of the things that, uh, again, I, I say the, the good Pixar movies are the ones that make me cry or at least tear up. And this one does. And it's a very brief moment, and it happens almost at the end. And it's when... They've escaped. They've landed on town. They're going to go fight the giant robot. And Mr. Incredible is trying to get them, get Helen to stay with the kids and let him go fight. And she is you know, not having it. Good. And she's just like, so what? What do you think? This is a game? Is this like an exercise to you? And he can't explain it. He doesn't want to. She says, you know, this will make you stronger. And he just gra- looks at her and grabs her and goes, I can't lose you again. Yeah. And this, and you hear his voice just break when, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. Yeah. That is just so touching because he has, he real, this is, you know, he's changed. He's realized he truly values what he has. Never mind the little speech he makes when they're all tied up. Yeah. Which is nice too, but this is where you really feel it. Yeah. And that speech, too, is very much like something Helen would say. Yeah. And it has been telling him throughout the movie, but he finally gets it. And it's like, I'm missing all of this. Um, my moment, besides that one, that is a great moment. But my moment is actually not a sad moment. 
it's when Dash is in the jungle being chased by these <laughs> amazing <laughs> saw blade helicopter yep. things. Which, if you look at them, it's like, that's really dangerous. I think it would work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's running and being chased. And he's like, oh my crap, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. Because they're going as fast as he can. And there's two of them bearing down on him. And he's going through the jungle. The jungle suddenly opens up. And he realizes he's heading right for the lagoon. And he closes his eyes and he just goes as fast yes, as he can. And then suddenly it's very quiet and he opens his eyes and he looks down and realizes he's running fast enough to stay above the water. He's running <laughs> on water and he just laughs. That little and giggle. He, it's yeah. so believable. It's like that is exactly how a kid his age would react when he, when he, when he realized he could do that. Well, it, he's finally allowing himself or being allowed to do, to reach his potential. Like, this is the best I can do, and it's something I never thought I could do. The, he and, also has a moment in the jungle I loved because it always was something I wondered about with speedsters. He runs into a cloud of bugs. <laughs> and he's, it knocks him over, and he's spitting and choking because he got a mouth. All I'm thinking of, why isn't the Flash's whole front of his body covered with insect carcasses? And it's like, yes, that is exactly what would happen. Yeah, it totally is. And Violet, who gets her moment where she realizes she's stronger than she thought she was and that she yeah. can use her powers, and it's not, she doesn't just have to hide and stay out of the way. She has a yeah. great arc. Violet is a great character. She's also obviously so smart. She's right. up there with obviously the the women in that family have the brains. Yeah, true. They yeah. really do. She's the one who figures out. You know, I don't know how to fly a rocket. Well, you don't have to. Just to use the coordinates from the last launch. And <laughs> oh. both the parents look at each other like. And you can see the look saying, "I would not have thought of that." <laughs> <laughs> I also just like that moment where. Uh, the plane is being attacked by missiles, and uh, Helen tells Violet, make a force field to, sur to surround the plane. She's like, I don't know if I can do that. I've never known that big. And she panics, and she she balks. She, yeah, can't, do she it. can't do it. And when they crash, and everybody's safe on the island, and Helen has to go off to try and find Bob and leave Violet in charge, Violet's all upset, and she's like, I don't think, I don't think. And she finally confesses, I'm really sorry that I didn't do what you wanted me to do. And there's a great moment where Helen finally takes a step away from herself and says, you're right, I'm sorry. I should never have put that kind of uh, um, responsibility on you in the moment of sheer danger. What You're capable of doing this. You'll be great. I believe in you. But what I did before, you're right, I shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry. That was a really cool moment. That was moment. a great moment. I also really like where she's about to leave the kids on their own, and she says, you know those bad guys you saw in the cartoons on Saturday morning? And Dash is like, yeah, yeah. It's like, these guys are not like them. They will not exercise restraint because you're children. And she just looks at him. They will kill you if they get a chance. I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. She just told, she actually not only acknowledged death in this movie, which is, I think, one of the first times anyone in a Pixar movie has said it like that. Yeah. It's always like, oh, we'll be destroyed or lost. No, you'll die. It's like, wow, and that is exactly what she has to tell them. It's a terrible thing, but they're in that situation, and she has to make them understand that, that it's not yeah. a game. And I just, wow. It's like, not just are you an amazing superhero, you're an amazing mom. Yeah. she. I mean, she is. She's a great character yeah. all around, and I wish we had more characters like her in films in general, never mind animated ones. 
Um, we are getting to that point. Yeah. Are there any other points you wanted to touch on before we reveal? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to point out that emphasis again of that hero. In this movie, heroes are born, not made. Mm-hmm. Which I have a little bit of a problem with. I have the same. It was the same problem I had with Harry Potter, and they use the same line <laughs> in this movie as they do in I think the first Harry Potter movie. Don't make me say it. <laughs> uh, no, it's in your blood. Magic chlorine. Magic chlorine. And I'm yes. glad I said it. <laughs> yeah, we also got that in the Star Wars prequel. But it's the idea <laughs> that heroes are that it's not about. What kind of a person you are, it's what you're born with. And I got a problem with that. I would have liked to see another tech hero or somebody, because we get no implication that any of those guys are anything other than super beings. And I am willing to give that point to pass, if for if, no other reason, that this film tackles so many other things. <laughs> I guess. At just, And maybe that is what they were saying. Maybe that's what they actually believe. But that kind of bothers me. But that's pretty much all that bothers me. Uh, the the rest the rest of it. Well, let, why don't we sum up? Okay. The roundup. Max, I hate this piece of crap. Oh well, my I god! Have... I can't believe this got made. <laughs> what a disaster, Brad Bird! You're worse than a hundred Hitlers. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to someone else. <laughs> Damn. Well, you know, actually, I do have a, a question. Red with... planet. Um... <laughs> I do have a question because I remembered this while I was researching this film. Uh, do you remember when we got the first teaser? Because it was just about Mister Incredible, and it was about his weight and not fitting in. It was very. It, it was I a don't teaser. Think so it was so. Like a... No, I don't remember. Or do you remember when you found out that Pixar's next movie was a superhero film? Hmm. Do you remember yes. what your thoughts for that was going to be like? Yeah, my first thought was, that's great. Oh, see, I was exactly the opposite. I was like, oh, dear gods, really? This looks bad. I don't, uh, fat superheroes, uh, why are we doing this? I don't, okay, oh, whatever. No, I, and I, I was I, not I was thinking, they have done everything right so far, and back then they had. Yeah. I'm like, this. maybe this will be great. Um, and so you feel like it fulfilled its... Knocked it out of the park. And this was a movie which has a blatant sequel bag at the end with the appearance of the Underminer, which, by the way, I think is one of John Ratzenberger's <laughs> greatest moments. It is. He's, he's just the name, the Underminer. Yes, it's like, I'm under you, but nothing is under, under me. Uh, and, and he's so <laughs> over-the-top villain. I am here to declare war on peace and happiness. It's like, wow, <laughs> you're not even pretending anything. You're, yep, I'm just evil. <laughs> it's a sequel bag, but I remember, I think we, you and I had this argument. I was like, oh, wow, I, I hope they do a sequel. And I think you said, why? They don't need to. This movie really no. works by itself. And I think, as history has proved you right. <laughs> the, yeah. The sequel isn't awful. It's just it's, completely unnecessary. Well, you know what? The thing is, I after I finished watching the film just last night, yeah. I was like, yeah, I've got some time. Maybe I'll try and watch the sequel again. I got 10 minutes in, and it's like, I don't want to. Yeah. Because they did, they start off the same way that the first film starts off with. It's like, oh, you know, you superheroes, you're calling, causing all this damage, and we can't have you, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we've seen this. Yeah. I would really like to have seen a sequel. It's like, hey, Dash and Violet have grown up, or they're both teenagers, mm. or I want to see further on. I don't want to see the same character. Yeah, they do different things with, with Helen, but it's like... 
I, I to be fair, I don't even remember the rest of the plot. But yeah, yeah I watched the first ten minutes. I don't want to watch it. Um, it's this perfect little gem, or, or near perfect it, little yeah. gem. Oh no, this is this is one of the great ones. This is one of my favorite Pixar movies. I still I think like Inside Out better because I think it's more challenging and more complex. But yeah. The Incredibles, it is one of those combinations of being complex, challenging, and just so much fun. And it just embraces every single thing that it's doing. And it there's never at any point do you feel like it's giving a short shrift to anything. Right, so it's the family aspects are front and center. It's mm-hmm. not just oh the family's in danger tied to railroad tracks. <laughs> it's or so, oh the mother she's helpless. No, no yeah. not at all. Um, and so and but it embraces the superhero things with a heart that we won't see until the Avengers and the Iron Man films, but in a very different way than those films did. Mm. These feel like old Marvel comics to me. Um, like when I, I didn't read them as much when I was a kid, but when I started reading them when I was in uh, high school, this feels a lot like that. Cause when those, the people who made those, they loved making them. And you can tell that Brad Bird had a love for this yeah, genre. They, he, this is a, an act, a work of love. This is a tribute yeah. to comic books. And, and spy films and into like spy. I I love the sixties James Bond films and we're gonna do that too. Yep. How he managed to like take those two things and shove them together, I but do what not a great know, sandwich. But he did it. Yeah. Yes. And even the buddy parts work you totally get them as buddies. And in a rare instance, there's no point where I'm like, wow, there's a lot more chemistry between the buddies than there are between the supposed couple. I totally get Bob and Helen. Yep. Totally get them. Oh, yeah. I honestly think he owes her a huge apology, oh, yeah. but I still get it. Yeah, and I, I got to I also, I do have to bring up Mirage briefly. Does she have powers? We don't know. We never see okay. it. No. But I got to say, she has one power, and that is she has the sexiest voice of anyone in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wow. Yeah. Dang. I mean, she's no Wallace Shawn, but there's other who is. <laughs> well, he's a close second, but... Yeah. And I, the thing is, the way she's designed, she's supposed to be sort of a femme fatale, but her design is so odd, it's kind of hard to... It's like, okay, I, I guess she's supposed to be like... Uh, a drinking straw. Yeah. I mean, when he <laughs> says killing... He says, you know, it'd be like breaking a toothpick. It's like, that's not much of an exaggeration. No. But the, no. her voice, woof. Yeah. Dang. Elizabeth Pena, I think. Yeah, well, we could go yeah, on and we, on. We, we I'm could. actually really happy with finding that there was so... Because, again, I've seen this so many times, but it's like, hey, let's talk about this social aspect. Let's talk about this social... This film just, like, touches on so many things. Yeah, and, again, we, Max and I could now go off to a restaurant, if that was a thing, yeah. and talk for another hour about this. Film. Absolutely. But we won't. We won't. Instead, no, we'll go- talk about what we're going to watch next week. Yep, next week we're going to uh, talk about... That uh, Pixar movie, I'm sure you all remember, <clears throat> uh, The Good Dinosaur. Is Any, it a anyone to The Bad Dinosaur? Anyone remember? No. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Well, we'll see if that's it's, if that's justified or if this is an underlooked, an overlooked classic. Is this uh, is this the last of our uh, Pixar picks? This will be the final Pixar pick. The last nose pick of. It, I mean, oh, no, wait. Thank uh, you. I hit it on the nose. No. I mean, no. Uh, 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 <laughs> Um, uh, uh, coppers! <laughs> this has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Uh-huh.